podcast ain't played nobody. Welcome to week one. We're here. It's over. We had a week zero. We week one. We have football. That's all we're gonna talk about this week is football. Not in a hypothetical or abstract sense. Not in a smart sense either, but we get to talk about football that's occurring, that has occurred. Did you guys watch Florida and Miami? Did you guys watch uh, Hawaii beat Arizona on a last-second tackle at the goal line? Yeah, that was good college football. Don't let anybody tell you different, and if they do, uh, they're a horrible human being. It's fantastic, man. The season is here. I'm excited. I know you guys are excited. Uh, I'm not going to try and make this a long intro. I am going to plug Banner Society and then go to our website on the internet, on the World Wide Web. You can go to our Instagram. You can go to our Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter. My name is Stephen Godfrey. I am a senior writer for the Banner Society. You can reach me at 38Godfrey. Uh, same place for the Instagram. It's week one. Let's just let's just go. Uh, I'm so excited. We might have some bonus content this week. It's possible. Maybe I'm just foreshadowing sure this won't come back you know maybe i'm just gonna say that and nothing happens but maybe there's gonna be an extra podcast this week i don't know it's kind of a checkoff's gun situation uh today's show is brian harson you know him as the most idaho man humanly possible uh he is also the head coach of boise state uh drag racing enthusiast um just uh if you had to create a superhero in the napoleon dynamite idaho universe but like a legit one, not a not a humorous one. I mean, one that would like go, you know, hold his own in like a a dark Zack Snyder film. Uh, that would be Brian Harson. He is a uh, he is a Renaissance man. Uh, he enjoys drag racing. He enjoys. Um, I think he called it kneeboarding. I don't even know what that is, but I acted like I did. Um, he is uh, he's a man's man. Uh, he's a really nice guy. Uh, we had a lot of fun talking about some of the atypical Boise stuff, but then we got into like the usual, you know, where does Boise stand with the BCS playoff, you know, outsider thing and how they've handled it differently than say like a UCF. Um, we also talk about managing a quarterback race. Obviously, uh, Hank Bachmeyer is their freshman starter going into Florida state this weekend. Uh, when we recorded this back at mountain West media days, uh, that was still not announced and Harson was playing it really, really tight because he was trying to, uh, well, you know, I'll let him talk about it anyway. Um, maybe possibly definitely a bonus show this week. We'll be back, uh, with our Thursday tasting menu. This is Brian Harson. Uh, thank you. Welcome to week one. We're here. I don't know. But it's. I was doing research last night. And it says that they were. There was a uh, a custom shop and Dale Harson outlaw the the outlaw of Dale Harson Racing, the Blue Pony. The, well, it's the outlaw. I've never heard the Blue Pony. It's uh, a '69 Mustang. You talking about mine? No, it's just, apparently it, your name came up with it, it, this outlaw of Dale Harson Racing. Well, that's yeah. So that's. My dad, right. Outlaw's been, so he's had Outlaw Racing, Dale Harson Racing. It's really Dale Harson Racing, but he's okay. had this license plate that said uh, Outlaw on it. He's had that from like 76 or something like that. So your dad's nickname is the Outlaw. He's the Outlaw. That's pretty yeah. tough to live up to. Yeah, he's the Outlaw. So I actually had it. So I had, well, I built, so growing up, I built a 79 short box Chevy. Okay. Had a four inch lift and all that. So he and I put that together. 
I did all the body work on it, did the lift and everything. Yeah. Um, and then I built an 80, and I had the outlaw plates on that. So he kind of transferred them to me, right? So it was like, all right, you're okay. going to be the outlaw. Then I built an 86 Blazer, and I actually had on the, the tailgate of it airbrushed in. It looked like a stamp, right? Yeah. Like this metal stamp, and it said outlaw on the back, and I had the outlaw plates. Then when I got the coordinator job, I stopped racing, focused on football. He took the plates back. So, oh, you lost it. So you yeah, lost the I title. Lost the plates. I lost the title. Yeah, what? he's got the he's got the outlaw plates now. They're on his rig. So um, wait, so so he said that's it. You you gotta you gotta race full time. Yeah, yeah. If you're not racing. You're not the outlaw. Goes back. To yeah, dad. It, goes, it goes back to dad. So he still got him. I think at some point it'll it'll transfer back to me. But um, he had a '68. He had a '68 Mustang, and it's actually in town. We tried to purchase it back from a guy and. He would not budge really on selling this, so we ended up getting another one. The guy that that my dad worked for, uh, I've actually got one in the works right now. It's a '69 Mach One fastback, um, or it's a Cobra Cobra Jet, is what it is. So we're kind of working on that right now. He's he's helping me do some things on it. My best friend in high school, we he had a '69 with a 351. Mm-hmm. Got about six miles to the gallon. Oh yeah, and we'd all have to go in just just to go to school together, not ride the bus. Yeah, but it, you know, you can imagine the uh, the gas <laughs> mileage a bunch of sixteen year olds laying down on that would get <laughs> the five mile drive to high school. Uh, was there was a point when you made a decision on racing and football? Yeah, so I was uh, when I got to high school, I licensed, I licensed, and um, so I was eighteen at the time. Got my funny car license. And then I was at Eastern Oregon, and I got back to Boise State. I was GA in. I got the tight ends job. And I was still driving the car and really enjoying that and still trying to figure out if that was the direction I wanted to go. I'm going to coach, you know, I want to race, whatever it is. And when I got the coordinator job, then things changed at that point. So it was like I got to focus on football. I need to make this a career. The drag racing had to slow down. And at that point, it just got too busy. My son was born, so I had two daughters, my son. And my wife was like, hey, you got to make a decision here. Because in the summertime, the weekends, right? Right. We go drag racing. So I'd coach all season. Summertime, we go drag racing. And it was like, we need some family time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a little decision made there. Now, it's not over. You know, coaching I was about to coach, ask. Well, coaching doesn't last forever. I know that. And you can drive a car. So I think at some point, I'll get, I'll get back around it. And you know, I enjoy it. Every time racing yeah. season comes around, you kind of get a gut ache. Because you just grew up doing it, right? Sure, and yeah. He's still out. He's not driving. He's got a couple drivers now. He's got a couple cars. So he still goes out and works on them. Yeah. He runs maybe four or five races a year. And But he's still in it. I still follow it. Uh, one of my niece, uh, Mally Greenfield, she's actually driving the car now. So she's 28. So she's kind of getting into it. So it's a pretty cool deal. You're bored into it more so than even even football. That you know, that you meet a lot of people in football who pass through the sport. Sure, racing especially. Like I've got cousins who do dirt track and amateur stuff on the weekends, and their entire lives, short of family, is engineered to go, you know, fulfill and fund that racing dream. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, I did that. So I so growing up racing motorcycles and bikes and go karts and yeah, we were always doing something that way. Yeah. And what, yeah. But so you're also the the local high school quarterback at the time. The walk-on quarterback. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. at, at some point, it starts to yeah. gnaw at you. Hey, maybe maybe it's this other thing. The football piece? Sure. Sure. Yeah, well, I always enjoyed football. I started playing when I was nine. And the teams I played on, so my Optimus teams, when I was young, we had a lot of success. We were 
in the championship game each year. That carried over into junior high, carried over into high school. And I was really fortunate. I had tremendous coaches, you know, and they just, even at a young age, they were teaching the game. Uh, I enjoyed being around them. It was hard. Like I had tough coaches, but I liked that. And we worked hard. And so I always enjoyed, I played O-line when I first started playing. I have five years of O-line and D-line. Like I was the biggest kid. I was the heaviest wait, kid. Wait, wait, so O-line. Yeah. So they moved me up. I was. What's the height weight? Like, what are we talking about here? So I was right. 150 was like the cutoff mark. Okay. And I was like right in the 130 range. Yeah. So they moved me up in age. And then I was always on that 150. I had to go and put a smaller set of pads on and things like that. They'd make me weigh in before games. So really? I put like small okay. pads on. I put the lightest pair of shoes I could get, go in there and just yeah. be right on the, the button and then go put my other big pads on and go out there and play. So you were the mauler. Well, I was, I was bigger than, I don't know if I called a mauler. I was bigger then, and then I started getting taller and a little bit leaner and moved to fullback. And the quarterback thing happened by accident, really. Um, in high school, I was my running back coach. I played fullback. He didn't show up. And we were having a three-day camp, and he wasn't there. I don't know why. He was a former player. Might have been out too late, something, right? right? So I go over with the quarterbacks. I'm just screwing around. I'm throwing it. And then the high school coach, Steve Vogel, at the time was like, you might want to work on that. And I'm thinking, like, we already got two quarterbacks ahead of me. I'm going to play fullback. I'm going to play outside linebacker. So I do work on it throughout the summer, get into camp uh, my junior year in high school, get a few reps, and then – at the end of camp, I'm the starting quarterback, and that's it. I'm not playing defense anymore. I'm just playing quarterback, which I couldn't stand quarterbacks. I didn't like that position. I wanted to go out there and hit and be on the defensive side, but that's kind of how it worked and went to a state championship game that year, and the rest is history. Did you miss it, the hitting? I do. Yeah, I did. I mean, at that time. Now, here's the funny part. I get into college. You know, quarterbacks never get hit, right? You got the special jersey on right. and all that. Yeah, you're not the tough guy anymore. No, so you're out of practice. Uh, Somebody hit me, and I'd be like, hey, don't hit me. You can't hit me. I'm a quarterback. Oh, you know, your Andrew's like, linebacker's yeah. gone. Yeah, that linebacker mentality, right? Yeah, that's gone. So uh, by saying that, I got hit more, so it didn't really work out well. Do you still throw that out, like, in uh, defensive team meetings? <laughs> What's that? You just try and, like, relate. You just be like, hey, look, I play this position. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not the quarterback you think I am. I'm not yeah. that kind of head coach, yeah. you know? Yeah, I try to. Yeah. Try to try to show the toughness. Uh, I'm going to jump ahead. You, uh, The last time I was in Boise, it was a spring game. There was a four-man quarterback race. Pretty, somewhat similar to the situation you're going to be in this year. When was that spring? This would have been Rippin was a freshman yep. and and not really being spoken about. I remember getting there and talking to people, talking to local media. Finley, Rippin, that right, yep, right. And, and Rippin was a, a little bit of an afterthought, but I grew up in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. the name instantly, I was like, that, like, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, but what I was struck by at the time was you guys have a very open program, right? friendly access oriented you guys have become this national phenomenon that's almost old news in a way in that all of the things people talk about statue of liberty blue turf but you guys have been very friendly you had those quarterbacks sort of cordoned off right they Mm -hmm. were in a bubble that spring all the way through summer you're in a situation like that now what is the psychology because you were a quarterback a linebacker quarterback i'll give you that that cred but like (laughs) just quarterback aggressive quarterback uh you watching your spring stuff, reading quotes, you're very mindful of what they're taking in. They're sort of intellectual sure. diet right now. Is mm-hmm. What is the mentality as you set the table for those guys to earn the job? 
Well, because of all the the noise, you know, I just call it noise, right? There's right. a lot of things that these guys can't control. You know, who's it going to be? Because um, that's going to be the question, right? Who's the quarterback until we decide? Sure. And it's really, you know, for those guys, they're in it right now. They're just focused on the meetings that they're having each day. They're focused on the practices that they're out there doing or the workouts, whatever they're in. And I've always felt like, and this goes back, you know, with Coach Peterson and, and Coach Hawkins, you know, really our process of just letting those guys focus on trying to be the best quarterback they can and try to win that starting position without getting too many distractions. At the same time, also not making it a distraction by keeping them so quarantined away from everybody that that's all that people are talking about. Like, why can't we talk to the quarterback? So it's a fine line of letting a guy get out in the media, talk a little bit, letting those guys um, answer a few questions. But at the same time, really their focus right now is just getting ready for fall camp. They're going to get equal reps for mm -hmm. the most part. We have our practices split the first four days. And then we come together, you know, we're going to have a better idea. Okay, where's this guy at from the summer? Where's this guy at? And this guy's getting six reps. He's now getting four. This guy's getting three. Now we get in that first scrimmage. They're going to get pretty close to equal reps and then we got to make decisions right we got to get the top two guys maybe three so it's just a process of those guys being able to focus on just playing quarterback because there's enough on their plate from right. us of what they need to do how they need to play how they need to lead how they need to prepare and eventually they'll be able to handle you know the media side of it and when that happens we announce a guy all right we'll open it up he'll get to answer his questions he gets his day and then we got to get back to focusing on getting ready for Florida State right. at that point. But I've always just been mindful of that position as far as not letting all the outside noise really start making emotional decisions for them in their head. Like they may have heard this and may have heard that. You know, did coach say this? Did coach say that? No, I didn't say any of that stuff. All right, this is what I'm talking about. This is where you are. Always listen to me and the coaches. Don't pay attention to anything else. Now, once you get out and you're the starter, all right, you get to make your own news at this point. So you got to be able to handle that. That seems to be the next phase, though, is then, sure. you know, especially in the college game, so much of what you say to the media is messaging. It, it, it's a bounce back effect. You're actually sure. messaging to the team, right? Mm -hmm. Talk about this all the time. That, you know, Nick Saban is never speaking to the media. He's speaking to the inside of his own building. Sure. And most college coaches approach it that way. But then in the quarterback position, you – I mean, most coaches put a certain emphasis on the quarterback to do the same. Mm -hmm. When do you pull those guys aside? And especially when you think about Boise and so many of those quarterbacks being very public figures, dynamic personalities, Zabransky, sure. you know, Kellen – when do you know to pull the guy aside and say, "All right, now you're going to go out and you're going to have a you're going to have a forward-facing personality here. Your brand is going to help really dictate the team's attitude. Sure. People are going to be looking for you in the media, and your teammates are going to be watching what you say. That's a I mean, that's a job unto itself. Sure. Well, I think once that guy, once we announce the starter, that guy goes out there and plays. He he's going to have his process leading up to the first game, and then we'll see what happens in the first game. Right. Right. Hopefully, they play well. And all those guys you mentioned, they did. And then they start to understand the same message you just said, right? Hey, whatever you say, you, know, you talk about you, then it's about you. You talk about the O-line, you talk about you know your teammates. That's really what we're trying to promote. And those guys understand that. And I would say this, through the process of deciding who that quarterback is, I think these guys figure that out along the way. 
And I really do think when you're in a quarterback battle, whatever you want to call it, once you get named the starter, it's pretty humbling. And for the most part, those guys understand that. And it's just more about like, hey, I got to keep doing my job. Right. I got to make sure these other guys around me are doing theirs and taking care of business. And usually they we haven't had a whole lot of issues, you know, just media wise when they're out there talking about the team or the mentality or what we're trying to accomplish. I think those guys understand that. And I think a lot of that has to do with just listening to what we have to say and where our focus is at and what we're trying to accomplish. They're just out there to echo that. Most of our players do that, uh, but that quarterback position, because eventually when they do play well and they start to become the guy, you know, they're really the face, right? Right. They're the ambassador. They're the ones that each week, you know, when Brett Rippon got up there, hey, this is what we need to do. This is where we're going. This is the focus going into this week. And that was what, you know, guys would listen to in the direction that we were going. Right. So about that brand. I think at this point, if you're being recruited to play at Boise State, you were three or four years old when the Statue of Liberty happens. And so my the reason I, I do that math is there's I thought a you're co- talking about me for a minute. I'm like, no, no, was, no, no. no you like, were there. Yeah. You were calling it. Um, I was actually reading the oral history on that uh, a couple nights ago. And I know it, everyone wants to go back to that all the time. Yeah. But it does it does reverberate. Actually, we can talk about it for the second. It does reverberate in such a unique way. And it is you know, it's a combination of, you know, a strange moment inside of the BCS, right? It's a, right. it's validation. I don't know if other coaches say this to you, but in the group of five designation, it was, it was validating for a lot of people. And I think the one thing that really sticks out mm-hmm. is there's NFL talent on the Boise side of that team. Everybody wants to always play the David and Goliath thing with that story, but it, sure. I mean, the bottom line is if like the lines don't match up, you don't get to that point in the fourth quarter, right? Like there was football talent on that team, which is right. the thing that got lost by history. Uh, but no, so to talk about the brand for a second, if you're an 18 year old running back in California, there is no sell on Boise being anything other than a successful program. And yet there's this cutoff in the media, in the college football establishment of they remember the whole Cinderella story, but the kids don't. You're just a good brand. That's it. You don't have to sell it the same way people still perceive it in certain circles. Right. Well, I would say this. I think that game, uh, it still surfaces with the guys we're recruiting. Um, That's not something that we come out and we start talking to a potential recruit and just like, hey, you remember what we did in 2007? Right. It is about what we're doing right now. It's about living in a great city. It's about the education at Boise State, which has also gotten better. It's in the development of our university. It's about, you know, what we've done. And really, you know this in sports, what have you done for me lately? And you go right back to, okay, how did you guys do last year? And at the position that I'm going to be recruited at, what do you guys do with that position? How can I be utilized? Well, running back, as an example, Alexander Madison, Jay Ajayi, Jeremy McNichols, you know, you could look at that and go, hey, all right, so those guys had a lot of success. If your goal is to play at the next level or to be on a team that does run the ball, all right, here's an opportunity. And then I think the biggest thing, when they get into uh, our facility, there's a an area down by the weight room and you kind of walk through this to the weight room to the locker room and all that it's got a lot of the history in there and they can see that and they remember those games and their parents that are with them usually on campus when they visit they remember that right and so it's a good talking piece right hey how did that happen you know some of the story behind it and to me i think what that game did it just 
people knew about Boise State, but now we walk into a home, hey, you guys got the blue field, you've had success, there's tradition there. And then you can start talking about the culture of the program. That's really what we want to get to. We want to get to the culture. We want to get to, yes, in 2007, we had 12 guys on that team that made NFL rosters, right? So we had a really good team. Yes, we were in a big game. Uh, but we also did that in 2010. We did it in 2014. You know, we've played in a couple of championship games these last two years. So we really try to talk about the culture and how that particular player is going to fit into that culture. And then you can go back and say, hey, we have the potential to do these things. We have a formula, but right. now we got to have the right people to get back there and accomplish that. And I think that just gives those guys a lot of confidence that if I do go there, I have a chance to be a part of something like that, which for any player, when you start looking at those type of games, I think they get excited about those things. So the kids just see proof of concept. A little bit. Yeah, yeah but I think it, I think that's really anywhere, right? You kind of look and go, okay, you, you, have a, you have a formula for success. Right. All right, how do I fit into that? Okay, this is how you fit into it. Um, you might remind us of a guy that we had, right? You can say that to him, like, okay. And then say, but, you know, here's some qualities that you bring to the table that could make us even better. And to me, like in any job or any opportunity you're looking at, you want to know how you fit, all right? What is it about me that I can bring to the table that can help this team and I can be a part of that and do those type of things? And that's really what we're trying to get to these guys. Is it, have you seen any kind of trend in recent years where it's kids looking more to fit into a system that's proven to be successful or a program that's proven to be successful? Or is it, you know, there's this whole criticism of the millennial being the individual where it's, I'm going to be different. I'm going to be this trailblazer. Yeah. I don't, you know what? Not for us really. Um, and maybe it's just our process in recruiting. I think the trend I think that's the perception of all these kids. I don't think kids have changed. The, the adults have changed, right? Okay. The kids are still the same. How and, the adults eight, changed? Well, just, you know, they all, want, they all want their kids to be successful. And those, those times where they're not, right, where you have to learn, the, the times where you fail, you know, nobody wants to see their kids fail. And so it's somebody else's fault. No, it's, it's probably their fault. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Let them be coached up. Let them develop. Let them learn. Let them go through the growing pains. And I think the, the families and the type of kids that we bring in, I think they understand that. I think the families do where, you know, the moms and dads are like, I just want him to be somewhere where he can learn how to, how to be a man. Right. You know, and we're okay if he goes through these things. They don't walk in my office like, how much is he going to play? How much are you going to give him the ball? It's more like, you know, I want you to help him grow, develop, because we're going to give you our son. We've got him to a certain point. We want you to help him try to get to another level in life and also play football. They're excited about that as well. Right. But to me, the culture is what becomes more of the conversation where the families are like, yeah, football. Because I always tell them, hey, if he's good enough, he'll play. Everybody gets that. If he's not good enough, it's like we're not going to play him. Right. So we're very open about that. But it's more about what's the environment he's going to be in. What is he going to learn? Um, what's he going to be taught through the game of football? You know, are you guys going to be there for him? And then this education piece, are you guys really all about that? And to me, that's, that's what I think most young people are still looking for. They know they need discipline. They know they have to be tough. They know they got to, they got to do things right to be successful. That hasn't changed in a thousand years. I think that's at that age, you know, those things. Now you right. may have outside influences in your ear, telling you you should be doing this and doing that when those kids are all around each other they understand 
you know, they know so, what it really takes. So you have red flags on the parents in terms of not letting, not letting the kid fail, not letting the kid reestablish his identity, go through the learning process. I don't know if I call it red flags. I just think we, you know, we just pay attention to their, their environment. Okay. You know, wh- where are they coming from? And, you know, a lot of these parents, that's why we love to have the parents on campus. They get on campus, they get around us. We take them through our whole process for recruiting. We talk to them. We're very open, honest. This is how we do it. They get to talk to our players. Really, our players sell the program. I would say that. I mean, they get around our guys, and we just cut them loose. Like, go ask them whatever you want. You know, they'll tell you if it sucks. They'll tell you if they like it. They'll tell you why they chose Boise State. Right. And to me, that's the culture, right? And to me, that's the best part of, I think, how we've done things for a lot of years is our players really sell the program. So I wouldn't call it red flags, but, you know, we do look for things if, you know, if somebody's walking in there and it's like, it's all just about football, maybe that's not the best, maybe we're not the best fit for them. Yeah. Because it is about football, but it's also about their development as a person. It's also about their character. It's also about their education. It's also about, you know, living in Boise, Idaho and being in a great place and wanting to be a part of that and getting out in the community and being involved you got to want to do those things if you're going to be a part of our program. And I think when parents walk out of there, they may choose a, a place that they think is a little bit better, but they're always going to walk out of there going, okay, you know what? I think they do it right. You know, that is a, that would be a good fit, but maybe this is just a little bit better for him and his talent or whatever it is. And we usually do pretty well when we get the parents on campus. You know, our percentages are high that we get those kids. And I think our coaches do a great job of finding the right people that fit our model at Boise State. Well, you know, it's funny because we have, we sort of pursue a lot of narratives that are pretty linear in college football. The kid either fails, fails, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. doesn't make it at whatever position and transfers out of a program. And then that opens a whole nother, the whole transfer portal debate. Sure. Or they come in, they're a freshman phenom, they go straight to the NFL. But in actuality, there's this whole gray area of, especially at the less sexy positions, guys screw up guys don't have technique guys go through you know it's reminds me of baseball a little bit you have yips Mm. you have you have a bad couple weeks Mm -hmm. but we we tend not to tolerate that we tend to only look at success failure but that's not that's not an accurate ratio of how it works no i wouldn't say that now it's accurate in the fact that if he's not playing well he's probably not playing in that next game right you're going to put the best guy and to keep it competitive within your team right if you really believe in playing the best guys well it's not just all right the guys we chose august 28th are going to be the starters the whole season that's not the case right barring injury and all that you're letting these guys compete and if a guy's in a slump a little bit then somebody else has to step up but that's part of being on a team Mm. that's part of developing depth that's part of having character because go back to brett rippon ryan finley is the starter Brett's going to redshirt that year unless something happened where Ryan Finley could not play for multiple weeks, major injury. So Ryan gets hurt in the Idaho State game. We bring Tommy Stewart in. We find out that Ryan Finley's got a broken ankle. And then, you know, it's halftime and it's, Brett, are you ready to go? Nods his head and the rest is history, right? And Ryan supported him, but Brett played well and Brett was a good player and Ryan ended up going to uh, NC State did really, right. really well. I mean, he's a hell of a player. You know, but that's what those plays are the for, type of plays things. for one of your assistants, no doubt. He's yeah. now a head coach. Yeah, yeah Eli Drinkwitz. Yeah, yeah, Eli did a great job with him. But those type of things come up all the time in sports, and it just goes back, you know, to having the right people 
you know, we get better people, we got better Broncos, and those guys understanding the model of team, which is really hard. And when you talked about transferring, and you see a lot of that now, and, and it's it's out there, everybody pays attention to it. But these guys that have thought that, and I think everybody at some point in their career has thought, I should just leave and go somewhere else because it's hard. But you stick it out, you overcome whatever adversity you're facing, you're usually better off. And okay. you feel better, in, in my opinion, you feel at the end you really accomplished something. I went through something difficult and I made it rather than I got to a difficult point and I just left. Right. You know, because you and I both know that that's not the answer. That's not going to be the answer in life, right. a career. It's just not going to work. But like when that. you're 22, it's different. When you're 22 and maybe a, or you know, 19 hey, you're, for you're that the matter. quarterback, yeah. right? And you got, I mean, there's some, there's some times where it's like I've got three NFL guys in front of me. Like, I'm never going to, but I want to play and I'm a good player. Or is it, you know, this is just hard. Well, wherever you go, that's that's a good program. It's probably going to be hard. Right. And, you know, I like to see guys just work through some of the difficulties that athletics, football, whatever, uh, because I know that's part of life. I know they're going to see struggles in their future, you know, marriage, family, work. It, they're all going to have to go through it again. And it's just, all right, have they developed the skills to really overcome some of those obstacles and and finish what they started and a lot of our guys do that so where do you it's hard to ask where okay where do you stand on transfer portal because obviously you just talked about ryan finley he goes to another school <laughs> right he, he loses a competition you wish him well sure okay again one of your guys uh eli who was who was out there the last time i visited he's on his way to becoming a head coach i know that he uses a lot of the same structure that you guys have at Boise. So mm -hmm. this is all good, right? And this is not something that you would hold against someone. Mm -hmm. I do think it's a little hard and I feel like it's unfair, especially this last year where we asked coaches, what do you think about the transfer portal, right? You're going to take transfers if they fit your program, okay? Right. Obviously, if you mm -hmm. have offensive linemen, defensive linemen, you're worried about injury or any position for that matter, but there's mm -hmm. certain positions where depth and development are crucial and you are thinking about those positions in a different in a different context a two to three yep. year development cycle to where you don't necessarily expect a frustrated sophomore lineman to peel out and leave right so and, and you know i'm not trying to put words in your mouth but also you, no coach wants to come off as anti-player or anti-culture or any of that stuff yeah so and then we crucify you guys as soon as we get the chance of saying hey well you know these guys are all millionaire coaches and and they're restricting transfers yeah, well, that's a, you know, that question, I think the coaching part of it, you know, that we're trying to restrict, and I'm, I'm going to speak for myself, uh, and I've, I've heard that as well. You know, I don't believe that. I think what coaches are trying to do is, is help these guys through some adversity, and the answer is not always just to pick up and go. Now, I'm actually on the transfer committee somewhat i wouldn't say i have a whole lot or even the coaches have a whole lot to say because when i got on it it was like this is what we're doing it was the model was already kind of set and early on now you're talking about the ncaa yeah already early set. on we kind of disagree with it like no we you can't just have guys going and the whole idea of like he can just enter his name without coming up to you and telling you like that's not that's not really what we want to teach as coaches right where you mm -hmm. can just not show up one day and just enter your name and not tell anybody no walk in my office let's have a conversation face to face and just say if you're not happy we'll help you right. but at least have that conversation don't allow people to not do that and i think now i'd say this 
we've had a couple guys transfer. That's never happened. You know, we've had real conversations and we've talked through it. And then there's been the transfer and we've done that. We brought in transfers as well. But the whole idea that you transfer, you're immediately eligible or you're not. This is where it bothers me. Somebody can go get maybe someone to help them and get a lawyer or whoever, and they get immediately eligible. Maybe they can afford it. Maybe they got some help. Maybe they got a family friend. I don't know. And then some other kid can't do that, and he's not. I don't understand that. I don't, I don't know why this guy's eligible and this guy's not immediately. If you're going to do it, either make them all sit or make them all eligible. And that's where I think right now we just haven't made that decision of exactly what we want to do. I'm good either way. Mm-hmm. If a guy wants to leave our program, hey, I'll be disappointed. But if he's going to go somewhere, then let's make it consistent. You know, they can go and be eligible. Um, I think you'll have a little bit of recruiting going on between you know programs and all that. Right. Which that's not what you want. That's that's not what anybody wants in college athletics. But I go back to like the texting. All right, remember when we, they allowed us to text recruits, right? I thought that was going to be something just catastrophic. Like, oh my gosh, all day long we're going to be texting. This is going to be terrible. Coaches are going to be flooded with text messages. Kids are going to be flooded with text messages. It wasn't the case. It actually worked out really well, and you could manage it the way you wanted to. So, I would just say either have them sit or make them eligible. But let's be consistent on what we're doing. So just find some sort of universal standard. Absolutely, and then and then we can stop talking about. You know, a coach, nobody's restricting anybody, you know, like we're not going to allow them to do this or do that. It's just somebody's got to step in, you know, like a commissioner in the NFL, right? Somebody makes a decision. The NCAA, there's just different groups. There's not always really just one voice. I mean, these are my words. There's a gross inconsistency in their messaging. Well, and it's it's hard. I mean, I know I know some people in the NCAA. I mean, it's just hard. There's just so much. There's so many things that go on. In the NCAA, it's I mean, a, I wouldn't want their jobs. A, it's a big pile of lawyers. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's a it's tough intricate. deal. But let's just come down and just say, hey, this is what we're going to do on transfers. This is how we're going to treat it yeah. and make it consistent. All right. On a slightly lighter note, uh, obviously, you want to be in the national uh, title conversation as much as humanly possible at all times. But in the G5 realm, you've had a program like UCF the last couple of years that has occupied a space Boise was in. Boise still occupies. What has struck me is this. Every time I've ever asked you about the playoff, about the BCS, about mm-hmm. whatever, you have been exceedingly diplomatic. And Boise o- occupies this incredibly unique space, right? You became a I often, it's almost like the Cubs in WGN or the Braves in TBS. There for a while, Boise mm-hmm. was on national television. It was everybody's second team, blue turf, all that. And there was a real darling aspect to you guys. Then you have a program like UCF that comes in and rather than say, hey guys, we'd like to be considered, it's we belong, why aren't we in here? We're furious right. about this, you know, kind of kick in the door. Differing methodologies. But if I, I assume if I ask you again, if you guys are undefeated this year, you'd say, hey, we think we should, we should be in consideration for the playoff and leave it at that. 100%, 100%. I, I think UCF, um, They've done a really good job. They played well. They're the kids have played well. I watch them play. I've watched them play. Um, and you know, even their their mentality of pushing for that, you know, that doesn't bother me one bit. And I think any team that's undefeated should have a chance to continue their season to be undefeated, group of five or not. And that's been my message. So, yeah, if a Boise State, a UCF, you know, whoever goes undefeated, 
there should be consideration that they're in that one of those four spots to go play for a national championship. And to me, I don't know how you keep an undefeated team out of that. You know, and if if there's seven undefeated teams, then you know what, take your pick, right? Right. If there's not, and for example, if Boise State is one of those and we played really well, then there should be an opportunity for a group of five team to go play in a game like that. And at least, I mean, at some point it will happen. And then we'll all find out, right? It'll be Boise State versus Alabama, whoever. And you let that game be played, and then everybody can make their decisions after that. Should we have done that? Should we not? But at least give the teams an opportunity to continue their season, to be undefeated. Because to me in college football, just as a fan, if you get a group of five or a Boise State team, and which I think, you know, we're, we're one of those power programs. I've always said that. But you get a Boise State in one of those games and uh, they happen to go on and win it. How awesome is that for college football? How, I mean, you talk about the stories and the message and the opportunity and everybody that's deserving gets a chance, right? I mean, it's really – it's how we're built, right? Sure. It's the American way. I mean, that's just what it is. It's American dream. I mean, give these guys a chance to do that rather than say, eh, you know, maybe this one lost team or whatever – because um, you can hem haw about that all day long, but if this team's deserving and UCF, when they were undefeated, uh, it, it was hard for me not to say that they shouldn't be in one of those playoff games and have an opportunity for that. Do you think it's going to happen in a four-team format? I hope it does. I don't know if it's going to happen in a four-team format. I think we're going to have to expand. I think we're going to have to get into I don't know if it's six or eight. I've heard the different scenarios. I really haven't gotten into the whole math of it. You know, Mike Leach would probably be a better person to ask on that um you listen to him he's but used, yeah he's got he's got he's got it all figured out he'll have an answer for every question for there's sure. no doubt yeah but to me yes i think there's a there's got to be an opportunity for a group of five team to do that because that's what college football is all about and you give those teams those opportunities because if they're deserving i think that's what not only the program and the players are working towards but I think that's what fans would want to see as well. How much do you worry about quality of the conference? Because it, it, I was, it was kind of reminded of uh, of John Calipari when he got to Kentucky. You would see him in these post game interviews after they'd beat some horrible RPI SEC basketball team, and the first thing he'd do would talk about how, look, these guys are really tough. They're really great because he's trying to talk up the entirety of the situation. Sure. Now, when you guys, and I'll just ask you, I don't know if you know off the top of your head, when this Florida State game was scheduled. What, mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, four years ago, maybe. Yeah, right. I'm not so sure let's just exactly say hypothetically, it was. it was three or four years ago. Yeah, different program at Florida State, right? Right. Maybe national title contender. The visibility of that is what you expected when you schedule it four years ago. Right. So let's say you beat Florida State this year. You want Florida State to be as effective as possible down the road for sure. your campaign, but then also you are really sort of at the mercy of of conference play. You're at the mercy of the, of the not only the quality of these teams, but the perception of that quality. I mean, is this any? Do you worry about any of this kind of stuff? I know you're just gonna say no. We're worried about you know week to week, game to game. Yeah. Well, again, it's it's really hard to coach perception and against perception and all that. I mean, we right. can only do what we're capable of doing with our football team. And I would say this about the Mountain West: we play them. I've been in the Big Twelve. I've seen the other teams. I know the quality of teams that we have in the Mountain West, and I completely disagree with the perception of it. I've seen the players that come out of the Mountain West. I see um, every year, you know, how much better those teams get and the coaches and the quality. And 
to me, it really is about what are you doing in your program? How are you playing week to week? How are you going out there and finding ways to improve so over a 12, 13, 14, 15 game season, you're getting better? which is really what athletics are all about, to watch a team develop and improve and get better and to see these guys grow and just do special things. And um, that's, how, that's how I think it has to be perceived that way. And it's really hard to like strength a schedule, conference, and everybody just sitting there like, well, what's the magic formula? I have no idea. How about just look at the teams and go, you know, that's a really good football team. Right. And those guys would be really good, a really good choice and have a, a great opportunity to be successful and maybe even continue their season and play for the for the championship. Um, but I can't control, you know, the Florida State game, we'll get ready for that. Whatever we do, whatever they do after that game, we can control what we can, what they do. Right. You know, you know that. Sure. And I think it's all about for us, it's just Boise State getting better and trying to do that all season long. We try to, we want to try to win every single game and do it to the best of our ability. And at the end of the year, I mean, we'll see where we fit in. Is it? Uh, do you notice the difference uh, in the years where you take a loss early in the season and then you do that that Boise thing, which is where you'll rattle off eight, nine wins mm-hmm. straight, you know? And then all of a sudden it's Christmas time and, oh, there's Boise there in the Fiesta Bowl. I'm reminded specifically of, oh, hey, there's Boise there in the Fiesta Bowl and, oh, God, they just murdered Arizona. <laughs> yeah. Well, Because we, we think of you, right, again, in a right. national perspective, up oh, Boise, darling game, afraid of nobody. They're going to go play Georgia. They're going to go play you know, Ole Miss in the Georgia Dome or Virginia Tech or, right. you know, whoever. And when they win those games, oh, well, well, all right, every year, every week, we've got to check in and see what Boise's doing. And then it's, oh, okay, Boise lost, you know. Sure. I remember after Oklahoma State last year, okay, Boise, well, that, that won't be an issue. And then, well, you just keep winning. I kind of think that's that's college football now for everybody. Yeah. And I know a team, you know, Oklahoma, for example, you know, they might lose a game early. Oh, you know, are they going to have a shot? That's a lot of of what I think college football has become now is everybody's just about these undefeated teams. And then when the rankings finally come out, right, the first time they do, all right, who's the top four? And it really becomes about just those four teams at that point. And that that bothers me because you have a lot of really quality teams that are sitting there in the top 25 and so many people and are focused on just the four. But then six and seven, they're just working their way up. They're getting better. And all of a sudden, at the end, maybe one of them's in there. Even some of these bowl games, I think it was uh, Texas and Georgia that played each other, right? Well, um, <laughs> yeah. You know, they're talking about, you know, I mean, it's just about the playoff games. Well, that's a, think about that game. That's a hell of a bowl game. It's amazing. Right yeah. there. And there wasn't a whole lot of attention on that necessarily like some of these other games. So part of that, um, yeah. Well, we know the prevailing narrative there is that sure. Georgia falls out of the playoff race. Oh, they didn't care. That's why they lost to Texas. That's why Alabama lost to Utah in the Sugar Bowl. That's why Boise State beats these teams. And yeah, that, that's it's, a hard thing. That's it's a disingenuous. Hard thing. Yes. Yeah, that's Painfully. a hard thing. It's it is. It's just you when when we go out and play early in the season, whatever happens, um, and that's a hard thing too because you know players can feel that no matter what program you're in. All right, you lost. It's like oh. You know, it's over. It's not over because that happened to us in 14, right? We lost the old Miss game and we end up in the Fiesta Bowl right. at the end of that year. Now, 
that was different for me because the years before we had to be perfect in, right. in the BCS system. And in this system, we had two losses, but we still ended up in a Fiesta Bowl. So it is possible for us to be in that game. Now to be in the game that we mentioned before, one of the playoffs, we know that you have to be undefeated, which I think any team really has to be undefeated to be in that game. Uh, a couple exceptions we've seen here and there, but um, that's really where you know I see college football right now is uh, each how we how we judge these teams right even early on. Don't write off a Boise State. Don't write off anybody. Let the season go through. Let them go through the season, and at the end we get these rankings. Watch how these teams are developing and getting better. And if they are, look at the body of work. Look at what they're doing, and then make decisions on where they are towards the end of the year. So then you don't you get the best competition in those games, mm -hmm. which is exactly what we want. I think we've done a pretty good job of that, but I think we have to pay attention to it. And if we expand the playoff, then that's obviously going to help. Have you noticed any change in the recruiting in the West Coast? Have you noticed any? It, it, this is a kind of a panic narrative right now. Where and it, it, there may be some truth to it. I don't know if we have enough information yet. Where I talk to college assistants who are on the ground in Los Angeles, they go across the the state. California used to be this mass supplier of college football talent, and it still is proportionally right. right? But you're seeing you're seeing kids playing soccer now in a volume in which that you haven't before. You're seeing the size of linemen coming out of particular states changing. It's different. Do you do you see that at all in the West Coast? This has also become a very hot button thing to explain why the Pac-12 is down. Is that their their supply chain has has changed in some dramatic, you know, unalterable way? I don't know if I've seen it um, like that. Okay, and I think the perception is there's a decline in people participating in football and there there, there is uh, but i also see the quality i mean we recruit california we we've, we've got it covered and i think the players we've gotten out of there have been really good i think the players that other programs have gotten out of there have been really good so no i don't see that i don't know you know if other team matter of fact i've seen more teams sec teams come and get into the west coast and start looking at players there too so you start seeing some other programs from the SEC coming into California. It's like, all right. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm wondering like what's going on in the East Coast. Okay. If they're coming out into the West. Is right? it just is it just a universal approach think, for some? I think brands? it's just now there's so much information. It's so easy and available to see players. It's like Clemson recruited a receiver out of Bosco. We got a running back out of Bosco, but Dabo Sweeney's in Bosco getting a wide receiver in California. And I'm thinking, that's a lot of states that he's flying over to go to Clemson and a Bosco's me, in California and Bosco's that, yeah. in California, right? Great program. Right. So to me, it's like, all right, you know, I'm looking more at now you are starting to see these teams come West and start to pull some players. That might be the reason why there's been more battles with us and pac 12s. Cause you get somebody like Clemson coming in and taking the best receiver out of California. All right. Well, usually there's some teams in California or those pac 12 teams that have been doing that in the past. Did uh did Dirk Cutter really destroy everybody's morale when he changed that program? This is the, I've got to destroy I mean, the morale. No, he he came in and and Joe was telling me the story and I've heard it before where Dirk Cutter comes in and basically says, "Look, you guys suck and we're gonna make it better right now, <laughs> but be aware you yeah. suck and and ask to change." He did. Everybody wants to <clears throat> success yeah. is a thousand fathers, right? Sure. Boise has a thousand creators of the Boise success, as I'm sure you know. Sure. 
I thought, Dirk, I remember that moment. We were sitting under the south end zone goalpost, and he basically laid into us and said exactly that, like, you guys suck. And I will say this, he was 1,000% right. We were so full of it. We didn't do things off the field right. We didn't do things on the field right. And he walked away from us at that time. We're all pissed off, and everybody's bad-mouthing Dirk. And the next day, we all – some of the guys, right, the real guys were like, he's right. And it just set in where it was like, you know what, we don't, we don't want to hear that about this team again. We're going to change what we're doing. And so the off the field stuff, that changed. On, on the field, how we practice, that changed. That was exactly what Boise State in 98 needed to hear because we weren't a very good football team. We were full of it. Yeah. And that changed – and I think that changed everything moving forward, and Dirk was responsible for that. But it took a lot of guts to get in front of a team and say that. And had he not done that, you know, I don't know what would have happened those two years, you know, when I finished up, how that team would have been. But we ended up going and playing for a championship, and then all of a sudden, Dan Hawkins, that mindset, everything started to take off from there. So, no, he didn't He didn't kill. He, he said what he had to say, and it was really bold – and necessary and it was something I still look back on and go you know what if we didn't have that moment and he didn't piss us all off and make us really consider how the hell we're doing things right then we may not be where we are today uh all right last one you got to give me a definitive power ranking of the coaches coaches you would least like to drag race least because, like, because actually I tell you what do the describe what any it, coach any coach in college yeah it's fine but what it takes to be a drag, it's different. Like, so it's different if you do yeah. dirt track. It's different if you do stock sure. car, right? Drag yeah. racing requires an intense, almost, almost sort of physical amount of control. Sure, six seconds, right, 200 right. miles an hour, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so along those guidelines, who's going to stack up best as a competitor? And you can throw anybody oh, out there. Oh, God, that's a good question. Uh, you know what? I've never, ever thought about that to be quite honest with you. Yeah, but I know race car drivers always look at other people like race car drivers. Because yeah. it's, a, it, it's this weird sure. combination of like limitless ego that you have to have. Sure. And and then also a quick decision-making, you know, general fearlessness. Yeah. You could, you could throw Leach in there just because he's insane. Well, that might be, you know, he would be one of them. Okay. Uh, probably, for sure, that he would uh, he would be scary because I just want him to keep it straight. Right. Right. You don't want to wreck. Leach is going to be in the stands probably. Yeah. Yeah. And talking the entire time. Yeah. He might be, he might be that way. Um, You know, maybe, maybe Jim Harbaugh. I don't know. He's, he might be just be crazy enough to go out there. You don't know what that guy in the other lane is going to do. Usually when you're drag racing, all right, you're really, you're just trying to do the best you can, right? You're in the car by yourself. You're trying to cut a great light. You're trying to just shift the gears just right. You're trying to keep it straight. You're trying to pull the parachutes on time so you don't wreck at the end. But you are aware of the guy next to you and who he is because if his car gets squirrely, you really hope he lifts and doesn't just hammer the throttle and run into you and put you in the wall right. and have something bad happen, right? So maybe maybe Harbaugh. I don't know if he'd ever just lift off the throttle. He might just hammer it all so the you way don't, down. Yeah. And- <laughs> so, so you don't want a crazy guy. You want somebody who's not going to just completely you some, lose it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's you know, you're out there. I mean, it's your life, right? You, yeah. you want to at least have somebody – yeah, you want to win, you're going to go against a competitor, but if things are going to get really dangerous, you'd hope the guy will lift and knows what to do, pull the parachutes out, be safe so you can finish, he can finish. All right, everybody's upright at the end of the race. Um, 
But yeah, that's maybe the first one that comes to mind. You know, a little bit of craziness there uh, in a good, in a good way, not in a bad way, in a good way. And but I think any coach, man, it's, it's a drag racing. The fun part about it is a lot of it is just really competing with yourself, right? And I right. think a lot of head coaches they're in that position because a lot of them have that mindset, and you know, you you spend a lot of time trying to compete with yourself to help your program develop. So I think most guys would probably make pretty good drag racers. You strike me as someone who, when when former head coach, when, when you get that title, you'll be out there. Oh, I'll be out at the drag strip. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what national event I'll go to first, but I'll go watch it, and then who knows, maybe sometime down the road. Awesome. Thanks, Coach. Thank you.